Good morning, my name's Bob Kane, I'm one of the leaders of this church, and it's a joy to welcome you here to worship with us this morning. Uh, it's great to have Beth and her family with her, and, Beth and Tim will be joining us uh, in, on the leadership team uh, early next year in January, in fact, so please keep them in your prayers as well. Uh, just to remind you that next Sunday morning, sun, next Sunday is Shoebox Sunday, so if you have a shoebox or would like one, see Moira, there's some still uh, some available, and if you bring that with you next Sunday morning, because next Sunday, as I say, is Shoebox Sunday. Does anyone know what nation we're praying for according to Operation World this morning? If you don't have it on your phone, I would recommend you download the app, Operation World. It's Slovenia, a population of 2 million people in Slovenia. The, there are, according to the, to the figures, 0.1% of the population of Slovenia are Bible-believing evangelical Christians. 99.9% are not Bible-believing, born-again, Jesus-loving Christians. There is a massive Orthodox Church culture in Slovenia, but it's a dead religion. And there is great oppression for anyone who turns and trusts Christ. So let's pray for them and pray for ourselves as we come under God's Word this morning. Father, we commend ourselves to you. We thank and praise you for us, for the saving grace that you have wrought in Christ in us. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Slovenia this morning, a tiny, tiny despised minority in that great nation of, of two million people who at the moment are blinded by religion, even if it goes under the banner of Christianity. It's, it's a spirit-less, Christ-less, dead religion. Have mercy upon the people of Slovenia. Make them glad in Christ for your glory and their good. Now, Lord, we ask and pray that you would please come and minister to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The righteousness of God. That's where we've got to in Paul's exposition of the gospel. And it's in the passage that Lee read to us. And if you have your Bibles, please turn back to that passage. We're looking particularly at verses in chapter 3, verses 21 through 31. We won't get to 31, but we will, by God's grace, get through some of this. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of, of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is, an, is a shorthand way, another way of saying, God is perfect. Righteousness is equals perfection. Just a couple of texts there to back that up. In, in Psalm 18.30, David records as a song of praise, as for God, his way is perfect. Which literally means, amongst other things, God always does what is perfectly right. Secondly, it means he always does what is perfectly just. And thirdly, it means he always finishes perfectly what he says he will. He's, per he's right, he's just, he's faithful. There's are many other things, but those three things, I think, are crucial to help us understand a bit more about who God is. As for God, his way is perfect. 
And Jesus himself said, this is Jesus' command to us, be perfect, Matthew 5, 48, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Which means our perfect God will not tolerate in his presence, which incidentally, according to the Bible, fills the entire cosmos, he will not tolerate anyone in his presence who is not perfect as he is. The third text on the screen is, all have sinned and fall short of the glory or the perfection of God, Romans 3.23. Which means, as we learned last week, Romans 3.10, there is no one righteous, not even one. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Hands up if you've ever said in a conversation, well, I'm not perfect, nobody is. Do you know what you've done? You've agreed with God's verdict on your life. You have absolutely agreed with God's judgment and assessment of your life. There is no one perfect. You've just agreed with God. Hands up if you've ever said something like this. Well, I'm not perfect. Nobody is. But I've never murdered anyone. Or something like that. You have just tried to justify yourself. I'm not perfect, nobody is, but at least I haven't. That but at least I haven't is you trying to justify yourself. You are trying to declare yourself comparatively righteous. And we've all done it. Romans 3.20, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, rather, by, by the book, sorry, let me start again. Romans 3.20, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, rather through the law we become conscious of our sin. Another couple of questions, How, hands up if you've ever been in a courtroom. Hands up if you've ever been in the dock in a courtroom. <laughs> Have you ever, even if you've not been in a court of law... Have you ever had the experience that you have been found out and proved guilty by someone who knows you? You've been caught, as we say with the kids, with their hands in the cookie jar. You've actually been caught out. You've been caught in a lie or caught in something. Have you ever had that experience? How did you feel when you were caught out? When, when the truth was discovered that you were actually caught in a lie or caught doing something that you know you shouldn't have done or saying something that you regret. How did you feel? It's not a nice feeling, is it? It's not a nice feeling. And, and, and proceedings in a court of law, particularly if you're in the dock as the guilty party or accused, 
and the evidence is piled up is a scary experience. It is a terrifying experience. And that is our condition, every one of us, before God. And that is the lesson that Paul has been at pains to make and prove and demonstrate that we are all not perfect. And that is unsatisfactory and renders us all to be excluded forever from God's presence. And into our darkness and into our helplessness and into our guiltiness God now speaks. But now. But now. These two little words bring freedom to the prisoner. These two little words bring help, hope to the hopeless. These two little words bring help to the helpless. These two little words will turn your worst nightmare into joy unspeakable and full of glory. Romans 3.21 begins a new section in Paul's exposition of the gospel. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Made known. That phrase, made known, has already occurred in Paul's letter to the Romans. You find exactly the same word in Romans chapter 1 and verse 19 regarding God. Romans, 8, Romans 1.18 reads, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Made known means making it plain, making it obvious, making it public, making it understandable, making it comprehensible. Paul is saying the righteousness of God, the perfection of God, he has made it plain. Just as he made his own existence plain in the creation of all things, he's making his righteousness plain to all humankind. Which raises the question, how has, God's, how has God made known his righteousness? How has he done it? How is he doing it? If you have your Bibles, look at the, look at the word through. The word through occurs three times. It is through Jesus. That word through Jesus occurs in verse 22, verse 24, 25 through the faithfulness of Jesus, through the redemption that came by Jesus, and through his blood shed on the cross, through the shedding of his blood. That is how God has revealed, made known, made plain his righteousness. Let's work through those. First of all, God has made known his righteousness through the faithfulness of Jesus. This righteousness, verse 22, and I'm using the alternative translation that is a footnote in the NIV because I think it's right. This righteousness is given through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ 
to all who believe. In, if you're following in the, in the main text, it reads like this. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. I think it makes more sense to read it. This righteousness is given through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to all who believe. So the, the object, the, 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 the goal, the, the, the thing that we are to think about and meditate upon is the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Is the faithfulness of Jesus Christ in his utter perfect obedience to the sovereign will of his Father. Is a way in which God is revealing to us his perfect righteousness. And I think Paul wants us to think about the faithfulness of Jesus Christ in being obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's where he's going in his argument. So God has revealed his righteousness to us, made it plain, made it public, made it obvious through the life that Jesus lived on earth, through the perfect faithfulness of Jesus on earth. The best person who ever lived experienced the worst death imaginable because he was faithful to his Father's will. Number two, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Verse 24. Now, I used to think, and commentaries would say, Paul is using, when he talks about the redemption, he's talking about the scene in a Roman slave market where a buyer would buy a slave and the slave would become the property of the buyer. Now that may well be what has Paul has in mind. I'm not sure I'm, I agree with that anymore. Because why do I say that? I say that because Paul is passionate to see his fellow countrymen, Jewish Jews, become believers in the Lord Jesus. That's his deep heartbeat to the Jews first and also to the Gentiles. And he goes on to show us in the letter to the Romans, the Gentiles get what the Jews have missed, which is, clear to the, which is literally under their nose. So I think what Paul is doing here is using an, an example from the Old Testament with which the Jews will have been deeply familiar. I do not think Paul is using a Roman slave market as an illustration here. I think he's using the Jewish concept of the guardian or kinsman redeemer. The way that God had set it up in the Old Testament was that if any member of a family fell into debt or fell into poverty or fell into difficulties or hardship or struggles, God had made provision that a close member of the family, if asked, would assume the responsibility of the guardian redeemer or the kinsman redeemer or the gael. That's the term that the, the Hebrew word gael means. It literally means guardian redeemer. The first time we see this worked out in a real-life situation is in the story of Ruth. And in Ruth chapter 3, 9 through 10, we read these words where Boaz is asleep on the threshing floor at the end of the harvest and Ruth is sleeping at his feet. And he wakes up and he says to Ruth, Who are you? he asks. She says, 
I am your servant Ruth. Then she says these words, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. How does Boaz, the guardian redeemer of Ruth's family, respond? He doesn't go, oh, I've got a problem now. He doesn't say that. He says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. He replied, this kindness is greater than which you have showed earlier. You have honoured me by asking me to be your guardian redeemer, to be your Gael. You have honoured me by asking. And I praise God for the privilege of being your redeemer. That's the picture that Paul wants us to get about what Jesus is doing. The guardian redeemer, as I say, was a close relative who, who was honoured to serve his impoverished family member. Have you a debt? I'll pay it. Have you a burden? I will gladly bear it. Have you a problem? I will gladly solve it. Have you a need? I will gladly meet it. That's why times without number, particularly in the prophecy of Isaiah, the Lord is introducing himself to us as our Redeemer. Isaiah 47 verse 4, one example. Our Redeemer, the Lord Almighty is his name. He is the Holy One of Israel. Our Gael. Our kinsman redeemer is the Lord Almighty. That's the picture that Paul wants us to have in our hearts. That's how he has revealed his perfect righteousness. Through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ and through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. And the third way is through the presentation, the publicly... Look at verse 25... God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. That word God presented, presentation, God presented means to be publicly displayed for all to see and understand. God crucified Jesus in such a way that we were to understand that in the crucifixion of the Son of God, God's perfect righteousness is being publicly displayed for you to see and for you to understand. And when he says he presented Christ, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, again he's using a very powerful image that will be very, very familiar to his Jewish readers. The sacrifice of atonement was something that took place once a year called Yom Kippur. That's the time in the Jewish calendar when the high priest goes in once a year into the presence of God and puts blood on the altar for the eyes of heaven to gaze upon. It's, a, it's the means by which the wrath of God was turned away from the guilty sinners and poured out on the guilt on the sacrifice. And the, Paul is saying, the righteousness of God, the perfection of God, has been made known through God presenting Jesus publicly on the cross. God presented Jesus publicly on the cross to make known how profoundly, deeply, hatred, his hatred of our sin is. 
The cross shows us how righteously, how perfectly God hates our sin. And he shows us in the crucifixion of his son, he is executing his perfect justice in Jesus' sacrifice, self-sacrifice of himself on the cross. Secondly, God is presenting Jesus publicly on the cross to make us aware of how deep the Father's love for us actually is. It is perfect justice and perfect love. And thirdly, God presented Jesus publicly on the cross as a free gift of his righteousness to be received by faith. That is how God has made known publicly his perfect righteousness to be received by faith. So what precisely is the gift? Let me just dwell on that for a moment. It is the free gift of God's righteousness. Put it another way, it is the free gift of God's justification. Look at verse 24. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In the English translation of the Bibles, the same Greek word is translated as righteousness or justified. They're the same word. That's why to be justified by God means to be declared righteous by God, 126. The declaration that you are righteous by God is exactly the same as God justifying you freely by his grace. They're exactly the same terms. What that means is the gospel of justification by faith is not just God declaring you to be forgiven, which it is. Praise God. You are forgiven in Christ. But it is much, much more than that. It is not just God declaring you to be not guilty before him, which it is, praise God. But it is much, much more than that. It is more than forgiveness. It is more than the removal of your guilt. It is God declaring you to be perfect. That's what it means. To be declared righteous, to be justified, is God declaring you're perfect. You are as perfect as my son, whom I love. With him, with you, who put your faith in him, I am well pleased. And therefore, God covenants and promises, we'll be thinking about this tonight, to treat you just as if you had never sinned. That's what it means. Let me hover on this a bit more. In fact, the free gift of God is not just the righteousness of God, not just the declaration of God, but it is God himself. Because in Christ, God gives you God. Because in him, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. 
And if you have Christ, you have God. The gospel is God saving you from God, for God, forever. That's the gospel. Do you want a text to prove that? You'd like a text, wouldn't you? You're Bible-believing, you love, you love the Word. It's not just Bob speak, it's God speak. Is that true? Jeremiah 23, 6. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. The gospel of God's free grace gets me God. And God declares those who put their faith in him to be perfect. So let me, as we move to conclusion, think about how are we to receive God's free gift of himself. Look at verse 22. This righteousness is given through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to all who believe. Number two, verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Verse 26, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Let me just ask you another question. You all know, do you not, how to receive a gift? You know how to receive a gift, don't you? You know how to receive a gift. Who would like this £10 note? First one to ask gets it. First one to ask. You've only got to do is ask. First one to ask gets it. Oh, hang on. Who was the first one to ask? Come on then, Amanda. There you are. She's received the gift. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. Coffee's on you next week, Gal. That's, that's how you do it. You know how to receive a gift. But Strong this week received the gift. He called on the name of the Lord. That's how you ask him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. To be received by faith. Now if you're following, you may have a yes but question in your mind. If you are following and tracking with this, you will have a yes but question in your mind. And the question is just this. How can God forgive sinners and welcome us into his family without compromising his perfection? And that's the question that Paul answers next. So as to be just and the one who justifies because at the cross, God not only makes known his righteousness, but he also demonstrates it to provide public proof of it. Look at verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement 
through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. Why? He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Jewish, believe, Jewish followers, people who understood how God had revealed himself in the Old Testament to a degree, will have been up in arms at this point. And Paul is addressing that. It begs the question and answers the question, how were Old Testament believing sinners justified by God? Were they saved through the sacrificial system of priests and prophets and all the rest of it? Were they saved by their adherence to, obedience to, putting their hands on a bull and slaughtering it, or a sheep or a goat? Were they, were they saved by that answer? No. They were saved by that which that pointed to, through faith in that which that pointed to. They were saved by faith in the promised, wrath-bearing, sin-removing Messiah to come. Just like Abraham. Just like King David, which Paul talks about in Romans chapter 4. In his forbearance, he welcomed sinners who had trusted in the Messiah to come into his presence. Where did Abraham go when he died? Straight to be with the Lord. Where did David go when he died? Straight to be with the Lord. Why? Because Abraham and David were justified freely by his grace that was to come in future through Christ Jesus. That's how they got saved. And God did that, put Jesus on the cross to demonstrate his righteousness publicly. Verse 26 he did it to demonstrate the righteousness, his righteousness, at the present time. So how are we, who believe in Jesus, to be justified by God? By the same way. By faith in the finished forever work of the wrath-bearing, sin-removing Messiah who went to the cross. Why did God do this for all sinners in all ages, in all cultures, in all nations? Answer, so as to be just, and the one who justifies declares perfect those who have faith in Jesus. You see, God does not set his justice aside. Rather, at the cross, he turns it in on himself. The cross does not represent a compromise between his wrath and his love. Rather, it is the most perfect demonstration of his justice and his love in action that the cosmos has ever witnessed. No wonder angels long to look into these things. Do you? This righteousness is given through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to all who believe. We'd love to pray with you after this service. If God has spoken to you, God has put his finger on anything in your heart, or you just want to praise him, it'd be good to spend time doing that together after we've sung our closing song. Let me pray, and then we'll sing. Father in heaven, we praise and bless you that now, Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known.
I ask and pray in Jesus' name that every one of us in this service this morning and every family and home represented before you in this service this morning would know, would leave knowing that they have been declared perfect by God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I once was lost. <laughs>